Our Father, the psalmist made a, a confident statement to you when he said, you will make known to me the path of life. Uh, that, that statement is made by a man who knew you, and he knew you well. You will make known to me the path of life. As we walk through this life, there are times, Lord, when, um, when things are, are clear, when uh, we're, we're on a track that uh, is relatively stable. Um, we go about our business However, there are times when we hit a stretch where suddenly, as clear as things once were, they are suddenly unclear just because of a change of circumstance, a change of uh, uh, position, a loss of a position, a loss of a relationship, uh, and, and fear begins to come into our heart. Uh, uncertainty, we can't see the next step. It's like, it's like a fog descends on us. Um, but the psalmist in 142 said, when my spirit was overwhelmed, you knew my path. There are times we can see the next few steps. You make them clear to us. There are times when that fog descends upon us and we can't see the, the huh, we, we, we can't see the front of our hood on our car when we're driving because that, that fog is such a thick pea soup fog. And that's when we get scared, and that's when we get frightened, and that's when we have trouble sleeping at night. But when, when our spirit is overwhelmed, you know our path because you've got a plan and you've got a purpose. Uh, we, we have guys here tonight, inevitably, at both places in life. They can see the next several steps. They're on a track. Things are going well. We're grateful for those times in our lives. But other guys, that fog has descended and the next step isn't clear. They're waiting. They're pondering. Uh, and they've been doing it a while. So we pray, Lord, for those guys, whatever their particular situation is, that you would give them hope. Uh, the psalmist 130, who was in the depths, he said, in your word do I hope. When we get overwhelmed, Lord, it's imperative that we keep our Bibles open that we not close them, but we keep them open because we need to hear from you. Uh, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So tonight, we're all walking the trail of life. We're at different points. Some of us are just getting started as, as men on the trail of life, coming out of the teen years. Others of us, Lord, are in our 30s and 40s, kind of moving along, a lot of responsibility, feeling the weight of it young family, trying to make it. Other guys who are at midlife, uh, experiencing emptiness, kids leaving, it's a new stage. Others are uh, retiring or about to retire. That's a whole new thing. Um, it, it, it's amazing to deal with that after years of being productive. Uh, no matter where we are, we're all trusting in you. We're all counting on you. I thank you, Lord, you promised to give us wisdom no matter where we are. If, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach. So tonight, we open your word. And as we open your word, 
we ask for wisdom for where we are on the path of life. We commit our way unto you. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Thank you for getting us through this day and as we study tonight and go home and then go to bed, um, your eye will be upon us. And then we'll wake up in the morning and there will be new mercies for us in the morning. Just as there's a, a new breakfast in the morning, there's new mercies, hot, nourished. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We're walking through life with you a day at a time. Give us your word and your wisdom tonight and teachable spirits, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing to work our way through uh, Philippians and purposely in the first two chapters uh, we were at a slow pace on purpose. Tonight we, uh, we're in Philippians chapter 3 and what I want to do is I want to cover the entire chapter tonight. It, it really fits with what we studied last week because last week we talked about um, the whole issue in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talks about um, the responsibility that we have as those who have been recipients of salvation, he, he told us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we talked about the fact that salvation is a package deal. We, we, we tend to think of salvation as the moment that we heard the gospel and received Christ and trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And that is indeed, that, that's a salvation moment. That's what would be known as justification. When we trust in Christ alone and we believe that, uh, as 1 Corinthians 15 said, I delivered you as a first importance, that, a first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he rose from the dead, that he appeared to Peter, that he appeared to the 12, that he appeared to over 500 at one time. Uh, Christ died in our place. And when we believe that Jesus died for our sin, he had no sin, he took our sin, he took the sin of the whole world upon him. He died in our place. The wrath of God that should have come on us went on Jesus. Uh, the moment we believe in him, we are forgiven and we are given eternal life. <clears throat> that's called justification. But as we saw last week, salvation, there's more to salvation than justification. There's something called, and we're going to throw out some terms here. They don't need to be difficult, but they're not terms we use all the time. So you have justification, and then, then you have sanctification, and then you have glorification. After you believe in Christ, after you trust in Christ alone, uh, the scriptures would say that you've been born again. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. So when I trust in Christ, when I receive Christ, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So you're a new creation in Christ. You've been born again. Now that you've been justified and have peace with God, that's Romans 5, now you're going to, as you've received Christ, now you're going to walk in Christ. And now you're on the journey for the rest of your life on earth. Uh, 
a journey of sanctification. Not a big. T- All sanctification means is uh, to be set apart. When you get your paycheck, if you're paid weekly or twice a month or monthly, when you get your paycheck, do you whip through the um, the, the drive-through and uh, just cash the check and cram that cash in your pocket and just start spending money? No, you don't, because you have. Uh, what you have done is you have a plan for that paycheck. What you have done with that paycheck, and every time you have a paycheck, you've sanctified your paycheck. Every time. So when you think of sanctification, think about your paycheck, you have sanctified your paycheck. You say, what the heck are you talking about? Well, is it not true that um, uh, even before you get your paycheck, some of you have what's called automatic withdrawals. And what you've done is you've worked it out with the bank that in order to make your mortgage payment or this payment, it's an automatic withdrawal. So that money has been sanctified. It's been set apart for your mortgage. It's been set apart for, your, um, for this. It's been sanctified. It's been set apart for this. Uh, whatever your budget is, uh, you give X amount out of your check uh, to the Lord's work. That money has been set apart. It's been sanctified. When we come to know Christ, now, we used to be in the domain of Satan. Now, we belong to Christ, and we have been set apart for Christ. So, the Christian life is, is the process of being set apart, and sanctification is walking with Christ and becoming like Christ. Um, God's will is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. That's going to involve a lot of change, right? From where we were, uh, that, that is going to take us from immaturity to maturity. So that's part of salvation. You have justification. Now as you walk with Christ, as you, as you have received Christ, now walk in him. Okay, that's sanctification. That's my daily walk. And then when I die, that's called glorification. That's when I, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's all salvation. It's all linked together. It's a package. And when we trust in the Lord, and he comes into our lives, we get the entire package. That's what we look, and so last week when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, we talked about that. How do you work this stuff out? Well, I'm learning the word, I'm growing in my faith, I got tensions, I got struggles, I'm trying to, I'm trying, he's at work, and I'm trying to sort this out. It's taking what he's done in my life, it's taking the truth that's in the scripture, and it's applying it, it's working it out. And, and, it's, it, and that's a good term, workout, because it's a workout. And it's painful at times. And you're trying to sort stuff out. And you say, man, you know, I feel like I've been through this. I felt like I've been dealing with this issue time and time and time again. You have. It's called repetition. You even do it in a gym. You do reps in a gym. Man, I'm struggling with sin. Oh, you're doing reps. And the more reps you do, what happens is, and maybe you don't even see it, because you can't, you see guys at a gym, and they're all, every time they go by a mirror, they're looking in the mirror and flexing, you know, and sucking in their gut. Well, spiritually, it's kind of hard to look in the mirror. But what's happening is you are growing. Now, what's interesting, you get into Philippians chapter 3, and you really have the same three concepts again. You're going, to, you're going to see justification, you're going to see sanctification, and you're going to see glorification in all of chapter 3. Um, in, in a sense, uh, in, my Bible, in my New American Standard Bible, the editors put at the beginning of chapter 3, they just put this phrase, the goal of life. The goal of life. 
Uh, when, when we start out, uh, and uh, when we're born and, you know, we, we start growing up and we go through school and you get older and you go through adolescence and all this, what happens is you start thinking about your life and you start thinking about what you want your life to look like. And, uh, you know, we all want to be, uh, not all of us, but a lot of us want to be great athletes and I'm going to play in the NFL. Well, we're not going to play in the NFL. I mean, we're great, but we're great in our own minds, you know. It's one out of how many guys is going to make it in the NFL, okay? Or I'm going to play professional baseball. Well, you might, uh, but you might just make double A. You, most guys don't get to double A. You see, we have all these things that we prescribe. This is the goal of my life. This is what I want my life to look like. I want to achieve this. I want to accomplish this. I want to do this. My, my son Josh, for a while, worked as a barista at, uh, at Starbucks. Starbucks has their own terminology. Which is screwy. Tell me how a small coffee is a tall. I've never gotten that. I still don't get it. Yeah, don't even try to explain it. But he, he was a barista. And he would tell me stories from time to time of these people that would come in. And, you know, you give your order. Yeah, I want a small coffee with a shot. You know, or I want this. Or I want... He said, Dad, there's guys that come in here. And I want a... Uh, I want an Americano uh, with, a, with a twist of lime and a cheese uh, omelet. And, I mean, uh, but they start giving these specific, and, and he said, Dad, some of these guys come in and say, I want that at 178 degrees. I said, you're putting me on. He goes, no, I'm dead serious. It, they, they, have, they have expectations of their drink, and it's so specific. I want this, I want this, I want this. I, even to the temperature of the water. That's insane. Uh, we do that with our lives, though. When we start out with our lives, I want my life to be this, and I want it to be this, and I want it to be this, and I want 178 degrees, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. How's that working out for you? Funny how our life is different than what we thought it would be. But you will, make, you will make known to me the path of life. See, God's got a plan that is better than our plan. Uh, Proverbs says, the mind of man plans his way, and we all do it. Uh, but the Lord directs his steps. Aren't you glad that God has diverted you? Yes. Aren't you glad that God caused you to take a detour? Aren't you glad that at a certain point in your life that you were detoured? Aren't you glad, looking back, that at a certain point in your life, you were disappointed? That you didn't get that what you wanted? Immediately, you don't see it. Paul, Paul is going to talk about the goal of life. And um, uh, let's start with the end of chapter 3. Because the goal of life, I'll come back to this, 320. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. The, the goal of life is when 
those of us who have been saved by the blood of Christ and by his work on the cross on our behalf is when we finish the race, when we die, and when we receive our resurrected bodies. And by the way, when you receive your resurrected body, never again will there be pain, never again will there be stress, never again will there be a relational breakdown, never again will there be an argument, never again will there be a hurt or a pain or a disappointment or tears or a crushing or a stress, never. That's the goal of life. But none of us, when we start out, have that as our goal. I, I quoted from um, Psalm 16, you will make known to me the path of life. And then he says this, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures, watch this, forever, forever. The greatest thing that will ever happen to you is when you die and go to be with Christ. It's the greatest thing. Uh, <laughs> but we don't think about it all that often. You see, we have other goals that we wanna see happen in life. Some are perfectly legitimate because we are gonna have X amount of time on the earth, but it's gonna to come to an end. Um, okay, so, so let's say this. This Christian life with, with the three parts, justification, when I receive Christ, uh, my sanctification, I'm walking through life until I take my last breath on the earth. Uh, and then is glorification, when I die and I'm in the presence of Christ. Uh, there's a process to this package. Now don't forget you get the whole package when you come to know Christ, that's Romans chapter eight. But there is a process. And Paul kind of gives us an insight into this process in, uh, in Philippians chapter three. In verses one through 11, I'm gonna go ahead and give you this, this outline. In, in, in one through 11, he talks about justification. Now I wanna say this, to understand, no, I don't wanna say that. To apply justification, all right, in verses one through 11, you must become a CPA. You must become a certified public accountant. I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. The next section is about sanctification. In verses 12 through 19, he's going to talk about sanctification and your daily walk as a Christian. In order to apply sanctification, you must become a competitor. A competitor, all right? Um, you're going to read the term, I press on. I press on. Now, in the previous section, where you must become a CPA, uh, you're going to see the phrase, I count. I count. I count. That's what a CPA does. Um, okay. We're broad scoping this now. So the first section is justification. To apply it, you kind of got to become a CPA because you're going to do some counting. The next section in sanctification, your daily walk as a Christian, your walk today, your walk tomorrow, your, your walk next week. You really have to become a competitor. 
<coughs> in verse uh, 17, at some point you transition and you're not only a competitor, but you become a coach. I'll show you that a little bit later, okay? Because you're not staying where you were. Coaches are guys who have played the game. Coaches are guys who know the game, who've experienced the game, but uh, they're at an age where they can no longer play the game. So they're breaking down physically, but they got all this wealth of experience, and now they're going to be called the coach. Who are they going to coach? The younger guys that are playing the game. See, at some point, this is what the Lord's got in mind for all of us. Okay. And then, beginning in verse 20, <clears throat> you've got glorification. And glorification uh, is, is really an understanding that you are a citizen. A citizen. Uh, you say, yeah, I'm a citizen. But you see, uh, we, we have all these debates going on about citizenship in this country. And in fact, not only in this country, but the whole world. The whole world is in anarchy and chaos. Because, uh, because when you're a citizen, you're a citizen of a particular country, and a country has borders, but the borders are being overrun. We, we have, uh, we've seen invasions. If you study history, you see all kinds of invasions. We've never seen invasions like this, ever. In the history of the world, have we seen invasions like this. And what's happening is it's... it's uh, there's anarchy and there's chaos over the entire world. <laughs> and, you, and you got people over coming in and invading, and they're not citizens. Uh, we're citizens, but you see, even when citizenship is very iffy and, and undefined and people are attaching different definitions to it, see, we are citizens of heaven. In this earth, we're passing through. In this earth, we're aliens. And I'm going to tell you something. In this country, if you follow Christ, uh, really the prevailing view is we're illegal aliens in this culture if you follow the Lord Jesus. All right, let's go back. Let's, let's, let's talk about being a CPA. Uh, verses 1 through 11 of uh, Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I, 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 I teach a noon study on Wednesdays, so down in Addison. Uh, in a restaurant, I've been doing the study for as long as longer I've been doing this study. So that one is always kind of my test run for this one. Okay? Uh, I started with verses three, uh, 1 through 11, and when I finished, I had three minutes left to cover the rest of the passage. So I'm going to try and move a little more quickly tonight. Um, so if, if I don't touch on everything, you'll know why, okay? I'm taking a big chunk here tonight. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things. And remember, Paul's in prison when he says that. Rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Now watch this. He takes kind of a turn here, and this may seem like he's going off on a tangent, and he sort of is, but it's critical to the whole concept of justification. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, 
who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What is this about? Well, this is about men in the church who were called uh, uh, Judaizers. If you look at Acts 15, uh, they had a council at Jerusalem among the apostles because what was happening is at first, you know, Edith Schaefer wrote a book years ago called Christianity is Jewish. And Christianity is Jewish. We talk about the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic. Well, Christianity is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Um, <laughs> they were all Jews. And then what happened in the book of Acts, Peter had this vision. He was on the rooftop and this, you know, all this food comes down and it's unclean and all this. And, and the Lord, you know, said, hey, go ahead and eat it. He said, I can't eat that. It's unclean. Jews don't eat that. Well, the Lord was showing him that uh, there was about to be a shift because now this was unbelievable. Those who were not Jews, Gentiles, and by the way, you know what the Jews called the Gentiles? They called them dogs. Well, what happened was the Lord was about to open up the gospel, not just to Jews, but to the Gentiles. Okay. So the Gentiles are starting to come in, and in Acts 15, they have a big council, and they're figuring this out because they didn't see this coming. You mean the Lord, the gospel is open to everybody? It's open to everybody. This is unbelievable. There was a group called Judaizers, and when you read through Acts, Paul would go into a city, and he would start preaching. And then not too long after he was there, some guys, kind of a pack of dogs, a pack of wild dogs, would follow him around, and he'd be in a city preaching the gospel. Within a few days or a couple of weeks, they'd show up and say, this guy is a heretic, this guy is a problem, and, and there'd be riots, and they'd throw Paul in jail. He was tailed by these guys called Judaizers. And the Judaizers, here's what they believed. They could not believe that we are saved by grace, by faith alone. They had to add something to the gospel. And what they added was circumcision. All right? They added circumcision because to be a Jew, even to this day, Jewish boys are circumcised on the eighth day. That's the mark that you're a Jewish boy. Uh, so these guys heard the gospel, but they thought these Gentiles, who they didn't like in the first place, these Gentiles, not only should they believe in Christ, but they should be circumcised. Okay. And they hounded Paul. And, and listen, Paul doesn't mince words with these guys. You know why? Because they added to the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. It's the sheer grace of God. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not as a result of works that any man should boast. Um, this was huge in the early church. Uh, flip over to Romans chapter 2. Verse 28. And by the way, we still have people today adding to the gospel. We call them legalists. They want to add to the gospel. They want Jesus plus this. Jesus plus that. Okay. Uh, go to Romans chapter 2. Uh, J.I. Packer says, every book in the Bible leads to Romans. And he's right. Because Romans is the... Is the um, it's the Magna Carta, it's the Constitution, it's the Bill of Rights, it's the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, look at Romans 
For he is not a Jew, Paul writes, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Now watch this. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Paul is saying the work that God is doing is not external, it's internal. Christianity is about the heart. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your might. Okay, look at uh, Romans chapter 3, um, verse 21. For me, it's on the next page. This is really important. Watch this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. See, what these guys wanted to do, these Judaizers, and Paul calls them these unbelievable names. Paul hated these guys because they distorted the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul says in Galatians 1, even if we or an angel from heaven should appear to you and preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. The gospel is Jesus and his work on the cross. Okay, watch this. But now, so you don't add anything from the law, you don't add circumcision, you don't add, you got to do this and this, plus Jesus. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, apart from the law. Circumcision was in the law. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Watch this. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Watch this. Being justified, there you go, as a gift. It's a gift. By his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. Big word. Propitiation means satisfaction. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. Completely, totally, by his blood, by his body which was broken, Jesus satisfied the judicial wrath of the Father. And that's why when he took his last breath, he could say to Telestai, it is finished. It is paid in full. He satisfied it for your sin and mine. It's a complete finished work. Okay? This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of the, in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say of his righteousness at the present time, watch this, watch this, so that he would be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus and is circumcised. Doesn't say that. It's just pure faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law or works? No, but by a law of faith. Watch this. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's the gospel. So go back to Philippians 3. Now, now, why is this important? Because a lot of us, there, there are guys in this room, perhaps, that are still confused over how you come to faith in Christ. Because you've been taught certain things. Uh, we had a guy for years who came to this Bible study. And uh, loved the Lord, continued to deteriorate. Um, when he began to deteriorate, his friends would bring him. And when he, when he went to be with the Lord, he left a request that I would give the gospel at his memorial service. Now, the church in which he was raised was a church that teaches that in order to be saved, you must believe 
in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and you must be baptized. You're not, you're not saved until you're baptized. Now, there's a reason he asked me to present that in his church, which he loved, and not anyone else that was a part of that church. Because, you see, that's how he'd been raised and how he'd been taught. But then one day, he realized that really wasn't the gospel. The gospel is of sure grace. It's Jesus plus nothing. So it was a wonderful memorial service. Hundreds and hundreds of people were there. And it was a great time. And at the end, I got up and said, my friend Paul asked me if I would um, share what he believed in his heart and in his life. Um, and I want to share the gospel with you. And I gave the gospel. And at a certain point, I got to the point, and I said, so, so the gospel, Romans 10 said, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God. Salvation is the, is the free gift of God. And right now, we can bow our heads, and if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, you can say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. And the minister on the side said, plus baptism, out loud. <laughs> plus baptism. That's not the gospel. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul said, God did not send, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. See, we're still adding to salvation. It's sheer grace. Uh, Paul has, I mean, he, he calls uh, these Judaizers, be, beware of the dogs, the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Uh, and, and that word false, false circumcision, he's kind of making a play on words there. It's literally, be, beware of the mutilators. These guys don't believe in circumcision. They're mutilators. They're mutilating the gospel. These are false teachers. We're the true circumcision, worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself, now here we go, this is interesting. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. What's the flesh? The flesh is who you were before you came to Christ. Um, the natural man does not discern the things of God. They are spiritually discerned. So the natural man does not know Christ. The natural man uh, is dead in his trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. We don't know the Lord. We really don't know, want, want to know the Lord. But what happens is the Lord begins to work in our lives and he begins to draw us. Jesus said no man can come unless the Father draws him. And, and, the, and the Lord begins to pull us to himself. And we're not even quite sure what's going on. But suddenly we have this interest and we're kind of mystified by this Jesus. And, and, and you know, he kind of pulls us in in different ways. And by the way, Jesus said all that the Father has given me will come that's amazing grace right there. It's irresistible grace. And we thank God it's irresistible because we'd resist it if we could because we're all about ourselves. That's another point. See, Paul understood these evil workers, these false circumcision guys. He understood them because he used to be one of them. And he wasn't just one of them. He was the chief. He was the chief of... of the Jewish guys who were against Christ and who did not believe Christ was the Messiah. And he was fervent. He, he hated the gospel. He hated Christ. 
He held the coat of Stephen, of the guys who killed Stephen. He, he persecuted. He was on a mission. Um, Paul was all about works. He was all about the works of the Old Testament system. It was his life. Um, and these guys that are so big on works, see, Paul got them, Paul understood them. Was it Babe Ruth that for so long held the, 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 uh, the major league record for home runs hit until uh, Hank Aaron surpassed him? Um, last guy to hit 400, Ted Williams. I think George Brett came closest what, about 30 years ago? But no one's hit 400 since Williams. Um, there are certain records that, oh, uh, Joe DiMaggio, what was it, 56-game hitting streak? Nobody's come close to that. That's unbelievable. Uh, Paul, see, the reason Paul understood this whole thing of being saved by works, the reason he understood it is that Paul was the world record holder on works. Nobody could surpass Paul on works. And he's going to give his background and his pedigree and his privileges and his accomplishments. Watch this. See, this all comes under the heading of justification. Okay, now watch this. Verse 4, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I four more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, he was in the club. This sucker had a platinum card. Okay? Watch this of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. The, the tribe of Benjamin never departed. They stayed faithful. When, when, when the ten tribes in the north took off, the tribe of Benjamin stayed with Judah in the south. Uh, that, that was a badge of honor, being of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. You could not work the Pharisees. Those guys were unbelievable. They were bureaucratic religionists. Uh, watch this. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which in the law, I was found blameless. Paul's not saying that he fulfilled the law in every point. What he's saying is, is that when he fell short, he went through the rituals that would make him clean in the eyes of the law. I mean, he was so careful. He crossed his T's, he dotted his I's. I mean, this guy was blameless in regard to the works of the law. See, this is his pedigree. These are his accomplishments. This is, what, uh, this is what gave him credence with God. This is what gave him standing with God. This is what gave him acceptance with God. And he counted on these things. He trusted in these things. What do you count on? That you were baptized here or this or that or your grandpa was a preacher or whatever. Now watch this. Seven, but whatever things were gained to me, and they were gained in that culture, he had the pedigree. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. Did you see that? I have what? I have counted. I have counted as loss. The things which used to be in my asset column are no longer in my asset column because they don't count. Because his perception is different. See, at some point, you've you got to be a CPA and you've got to do some counting in your own life as to what you're trusting in to be saved. 
If you're trusting in your heritage, if you're trusting in that you were born in this family and everybody in your family is a Christian and you were, um, um, hey, Donald Trump is a Christian. He's a Bible-believing Christian. He's got a Bible that, and he'll hold it up and show it to you that he got when he was 12 and it's never been opened, <laughs> apparently. And Donald Trump has no need of forgiveness. I mean, I got the, I got the, I, I got the articles in here. I'm mentioning Trump because he kind of reminds me of what Paul was before Paul came to know Christ. Well, he has no need for forgiveness because he really hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, he's a very moral person. Uh, I read this week that he's starting to pass out at certain campaign stops copies of his confirmation record in the Presbyterian Church. I mean, that's tragic. Because you see, he thinks, that's his pedigree. That's his Philippians 3. That's his Paul stuff. He thinks he's in because he was confirmed, because he was given a Bible, because he was raised by Presbyterian people. But see, that's not it. What do you think about the gospel? It's Christ alone by faith alone. It's Christ, period, plus nothing. Watch what Paul says. Seven, whatever those things were gained for me, those things, here you go, I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count, there it is again, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value. You want to count? Here's the value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. This guy's in prison. He's lost his reputation. He's, he's, lost, he's lost it all. But in Philippians 4, he said, I've learned to be content with loss. I've suffered the loss of all things. And all these things which he lost, which he used to hold on to and he was so proud of, there it is again. I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Those things which he held on to, the diplomas, the plaques, the confirmation, the baptismal records, all this stuff that he trusted in to get him to heaven, he says, I count them as rubbish. It's interesting because the word really isn't rubbish. The word is, um, well, let me put it this way. When we lived out on our property and we had acreage, I just let my dogs roam. And they could do their business anywhere they wanted. But now we're living in this townhouse and it's kind of cramped quarters and there's not a lot of grass. And so now they got this rule that you walk around behind your dog with this plastic bag. And, uh, in fact, they sent out a letter to everybody the other day that people aren't walking around with their plastic bag. Well, they were talking about me. <laughs> Even this morning, I came in, and Mary was, uh, she was putting the dog, and she was going like, she had her hand out like this. And I said, what's going on? She said, oh, I, the plastic bag didn't. <laughs> the word Paul says, and I count them as rubbish. He meant dung. He meant more than dung. You know what he meant. That's what he meant. That stuff I thought was so valuable, it's a bunch of crap.
I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Watch this. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. When he says that, that I may somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead, it doesn't mean that he's wondering if he's going to attain to it. What he means is, uh, he doesn't know how it's going to happen, his circumstances. He doesn't know if he's going to die in prison, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see? He doesn't know if that's going to happen, if he's going to die in prison, or he doesn't know if Christ will come back, the trump will sound wise in prison, and he'll be resurrected because when the trump sounds, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds with him. You see? So he, he just doesn't know what's, how it's going to work out, but he knows he's going to be resurrected. You see that? Because it's a package. Uh, he talks about the sufferings. A part of the Christian life, well, now we're getting into sanctification. Part of the Christian life, uh, Philippians 1.29, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. And as we've said the last couple of weeks, um, I'm, it's a gift that I believe in Christ. It's a gift that I suffer for Christ because the suffering matures me. The suffering grows me. The suffering turns me into a man, into a godly man. I don't learn through affluence. I don't learn through prosperity. I learn through going through hard stuff and seeing the faithfulness of God. Okay. My brother Jeff uh, called last night to, he, was, he, he wanted to tell me that uh, one of his real good friends and a guy that I had met over the years, he, he said, Steve, I wanted to tell you that Vicente died this week. I said, wow. Uh, and I've been thinking about Vicente since last night. Probably 67, 68, young guy. I'm 66, so he's young. Um, but I've been thinking about Vicente. In fact, on the way over here, I called Jeff. And I said, hey, Jeff, just tell me some of those stories about Vicente. Because, you see, Vicente, after Vicente became a Christian, Vicente was a, pretty much a career criminal in the San Francisco Bay Area where Jeff pastored. Uh, Vicente, uh, when he came to the Lord, he'd been in, uh, he'd probably committed, Jeff couldn't remember, 12, 13, 14 felonies. And he was a pretty young guy. He was hardcore. Um, Vicente was uh, running, um, he had some, uh, as I, I was talking to Jeff about this, as Jeff recalled, he had some automatic weapons in his van that were illegal and that he was running from this group to this group. And uh, a cop pulls up behind him and pulls him over. And, uh, and uh, he basically said he, he, had, he, he, had, uh, he was married and he had uh, two little girls. And he knew he shouldn't be doing that stuff. He was really trying to straighten out his life, but he couldn't kind of help himself. And he kept doing stuff he shouldn't have done. And this cop pulled him over and he said, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll follow you all the days of my life. Now he got arrested. And uh, three days later, they let him go because they screwed up his Miranda rights. 
And then right after that, uh, where he lived, there were some people upstairs, and he saw them going upstairs with Bibles, and he asked them what they were doing. They said they were in Bible study, and they were part of my brother's church, and he wound up meeting Jeff, and the guy found Christ. And he was a natural leader. <clears throat> he was an amazing leader, Vicente was. Jeff one time took him to, Jeff, Jeff was speaking at a Cops for Christ meeting. <laughs> and Jeff said there were about 100 cops there, and he took Vicente with him. And so Jeff was preaching out of Acts 9, where Paul, the great persecutor of the church, became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Jeff was talking about the fact that the, that the one guy on the face of the earth that you thought would never become a Christian became a Christian. I mean, there's no way that guy would ever, that, there's just no way that guy would ever come to Christ. The Apostle Paul, well, he did. And then Jeff said, so I got a guy here, my friend Vicente, and uh, I want him to get up and tell you a story. And Vicente told Jeff later, he said, when I walked in there, there were two or three cops that knew me. <laughs> and they were watching him, and they were waiting for him. They were just waiting for him. They were just, they were ready, they were ready for him, because they knew how bad he was. And Vicente got up, and Jeff said it was classic. He said, Vicente got up, and he said, you know, when kids are kids, they always like to play cops and robbers. And kids, you know, they play cops and robbers, and, you know, kids want to be the cops. He said, I always wanted to be the robber. <laughs> That's what he was. And then Christ got a hold of him. And he just couldn't quite believe the gospel of Jesus Christ would even cover his sin. But he began to believe it. And he began to read the Bible and study it with Jeff. And then Jeff said, hey, you know, Vicente, we do this men's retreat. We go up in the mountains. And uh, he said, you ought to bring somebody. Vicente brought nine guys with him. <laughs> and I think most of them have been in San Quentin with him. And then they started a ministry called Higher Power on Friday nights. Because Friday nights was, Jeff said, Vicente told him it was the toughest night for guys that were addicts. And uh, I remember going there one night and... Uh, they had a band, they had the worship guy, and the worship guy was unbelievable. Big, big black guy named Chuck. And during one of the breaks, Chuck said, I just want to thank God. He said, I was in San Quentin for 14 years. And I got out and I found Jesus. And ever since I found Jesus, I've been asking God to let me go back to San Quentin. And I'm going back in this weekend to preach the gospel. And all the guys on the worship team had all been in San Quentin. It was wild. Jeff told me through Vicente in about a year's time, Vicente would bring guys in, and Jeff said, I think, I think Steve was close to 150 guys that came to know Christ. Because they just couldn't believe the gospel. I mean, they could believe it, but it was, it was just astonishing that Jesus died for them. It was Jesus plus them. And they all wanted to know, well, what do I have to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. They just couldn't. But yeah, but what do I have to do in addition to that? No. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Were they baptized? They were later baptized as a first step of discipleship, but it's not a requirement for salvation. It's a step of discipleship. Okay, now I have eight minutes left. That's better than three. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about sanctification. But, but see, here's what those guys had to do, what the Sente and his buddies had to do. Certain things in... See, they had to count. 
And what they had to count was not so much all the good things they'd done, but they had to count all the horrible things they'd done. And they had to count that that was under the blood of Christ. See, which takes us into the next phase of sanctification. Let's read verses 12 through 19. Paul says this, Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect or mature. He, he, Paul, at this point in his life, had known Christ for 30 years. He's not saying he's perfect, because Paul still struggled with sin. Uh, the word perfect can be translated mature. Not that I have already uh, obtained it or have already become perfect or mature. Watch this. But I, here you go, press on. I press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So as I'm walking with Christ, I keep pressing on. Now watch this. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. There it is again, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, in Christian life, you keep pressing on following Christ. And see, what the enemy wants us to do is to look behind. He's always trying to get guys to look behind. Oh, I did this, I did this, I did this, and yes, you did that. So who was the first guy to run the mile in four minutes? It was Roger Bannister in 1954. The way it was looking, even on the last lap, was that Roger Bannister would not be the first guy to run four minutes. The way it was looking is that the guy who would be the first to break the four-minute mile was John Landy, because Landy was ahead of Bannister on the final lap. And as Bannister told the story, all he was trying to do that race was keep up with Bannister, but Bannister, uh, with Landy. But Landy was just a running fool. He couldn't keep up with this sucker. And they're just about at the tape. They're just about at the finish line. And as Landy tells it, he was just about at the finish line, but he began to think, where is Bannister? Where is Bannister? Where is Bannister? And at a certain point, he was almost to the finish line. What, what Landy did, he looked over his left shoulder, and as he looked over his left shoulder, which stopped, he didn't have the same momentum because he kind of pulled up. He, you can't help, but as you look back, it kind of pulls you back. And as he looked over his left shoulder, whoosh, on his right went Bannister, and he won the race. What does Paul say? Forgetting what lies behind. And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, mature, mature, and see we're maturing in Christ, have this attitude, and if anything in you, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal this also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we've attained. We're moving towards maturity. We're, we're, we're always, guys, here's the thing. You never stop jacuzziing in the, in the hot tub of God's grace. Whenever you start to condemn yourself, whenever you feel condemned by the enemy, you just get in the hot tub of God's grace. You ever get in a jacuzzi hot tub? And when you get in, it, it might be real hot. And, you, and finally, when you finally... And finally, when you, when you finally get in, you go, ah, it's just, ah, that's the grace of God. You just jacuzzi in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Because he's got your past covered. He's got your present covered. He's got your future covered. And see, in 17, see, as you're, as you're, as you're walking with Christ, you're growing in Christ. Watch this. He says, brethren, join in following my example. 
And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. You know what Paul's saying here? As you're walking in Christ, as you're, as you're growing in Christ, as you're in the scriptures, as you're a man of prayer, as you're learning the lessons, you keep a teachable spirit. When you sin, you confess. You're growing with some brothers. You're growing up in Christ slowly, gradually. But at a certain point, what happens is uh, uh, in your walk, there's a maturity level. And what happens is God will start bringing some younger guys around you and you become a coach. You see? Uh, it's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Um, that's precisely what it is. And see, this is what the Lord's got in mind. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In your life, as you walk with Christ, God's going to bring some others in your life. Say, Steve, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, yeah, you don't have to be a preacher. Just some young guys. And what do they need? They need a mature, stable man in their life because probably they've never had one. And what are they going to do? They're going to watch you. And they're going to listen to you. And they're going to watch your life. The most powerful, the most powerful preaching is the preaching where the life adds up to the words. See, uh, Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. This, this coaching, you know, you know who the most powerful coaches are? They're, they're coaches who, um, they're coaches, the, the best coaches are coaches of integrity. The best coaches are coaches of congruency. What I, what I mean by that is what they, how they live lines up with how they teach. Did you get that? How they live lines up with how they teach. Somebody's watching you as you follow Christ. What they need to see is congruency. That means the parts add up. So the young boy says, Daddy, how come you can watch that movie and I can't? Oh, that's because I'm a hypocrite, son. How come when I go to bed, you watch that movie? See, what it ought to be is, son, I don't watch movies like that. I'm not going to allow you to watch movies like that. You see the difference? The father sets the standard and lives by the standard. You don't demand of others what you are not applying to your own life. If you're going to do that, you might as well run for Congress. <laughs> now, it's not all guys in Congress. There are Daniels up there. But a lot of those guys, a lot of guys like that are lousy leaders. Why? Because they... They pass laws, and then they exempt themselves. Don't they? That's lousy leadership. What does Paul say? Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. This is important because there are others who are, who are naming the name of Christ, and you don't want to follow their example. Watch this. For many walk whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. I, when I was in college, the guy that influenced me, I'd read several of his books. I would drive 50 miles one way to hear him speak in traffic. I'd drive 50 miles home every week along with 400 of the college kids. I remember I was 20, he was 40. I thought, I want to be like him. 
I want to be like that guy. I'd had lunch with him and his wife and his four kids. I want to be just like him. And then I found out he was a serial adulterer as he would preach the gospel around the United States. And he still lives. Paul said to Timothy, watch your doctrine and your life closely, closely. And then you get glorification, verse 20. Uh, we're going to die. <laughs> and that's when your citizenship really comes into play. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Uh, so our friend Vicente right now is with the Lord. Doesn't struggle with uh, the temptation to shoot up anymore. Doesn't struggle with any of that stuff. He's with the Lord. Jeff was telling me, um, and I'll close with this, about six months ago, he was back up in the Bay Area seeing Vicente, and Vicente said, when you come up, I want you to meet a guy. And uh, he said, you're going to like this guy. And Jeff meets this guy. And this guy was a junior Vicente. And uh, he'd come to know the Lord through Vicente. This guy was tough. This, this guy was a gang banger. This guy had been in and out of prisons. Uh, and what had happened to him, the last time he went in, uh, someone in his family turned him in because they were afraid of him. He was so violent. He was, he was just scaring them to death. So someone his, and so he was so angry in prison about what his family had done to him. He'd had a guy in prison give him a tattoo on his eyelids because he wanted them to see. There was a tradition in his family that when someone died, they always had an open casket. And he wanted them to see this tattooed on his eyelids at his funeral. And on one eyelid was the F word, tattooed. The other eyelid had the word you, Y-O-U. That's the last thing he wanted his family to see. And somehow he met Jesus. And Jeff told me, yeah, I couldn't, I wasn't able to get up there to be with Vince, Vicente's family. But this young guy I met six months ago was there ministering to the family. See, the thing is, they can't remove those tattoos. Now, is that a picture of the grace of God or what? Here's this young guy ministering to this family, and he's ministered to his own family. Why? Because of what Jesus plus nothing has done in his life. He heard the gospel. Now he's in the word. Now he's in the scriptures. Now he's forgiving. Now he's consoling. Now he's, he's growing in Christ. And when his brother in Christ, Vicente, took his last breath, and Vicente is glorified. He's walking the path, taking up the mantle.
baton has been passed. What a gospel. What a savior. You can never out the grace of God. Never. So our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We all have our wounds. We have, all have our scars. We all have our regrets. But how grateful we are for what Jesus has done. And that he has secured and forgiven our past, our present, and our future. And the goal of life is to know you and to be with you. You will make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. There is someone here tonight that has never embraced the gospel of Christ and asked Christ to forgive them of their sin and to come into their life and to give them complete freedom from their sin. May they call on you and ask you to come into their lives and save them from their sin and lead them through the rest of their days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.